Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. It's the best time of the week. Front row Knowles time. Tom and KJ with you. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm I'm very happy, Tom. I actually was able to get out and do a couple of things. uh, And uh, trust me, it it changed my mental outlook immensely. Which, would you like to share what things you did? Or is this like you trimmed the hedges, mowed the lawn, went to the store? Well, uh, one of those three, I definitely did. Um, Kathy mowed the lawn. I hired somebody to trim the hedges, but I did go to the store and I have a very nice white mask that Kathleen has made by hand. And uh, I think the biggest thing is that it doesn't go over your ears. You actually have to tie it behind your head and behind your neck so I can untie it and let it lay down in front of me. And I look like I'm a doctor. Well, maybe you stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I don't know. There you go. Here's what we got coming up on the show. Patrick Burnham from the Osceola will join us next segment, and we'll dive into recruiting. We don't always do that, but the Osceola has a renewed focus on recruiting coverage. And Patrick's got some good insight, given that he played football. His dad was a longtime coach at Florida State, Wally Burnham, and he's worked in college football and athletics and recruiting. So he'll share his insight next segment. And then David Teal, veteran ACC reporter in the state of Virginia. We have him on once or twice a year. Our listeners may not know him that well, but if you talk about somebody, the one person who consistently gets a one-on-one interview with Commissioner John Swafford for an update on the ACC is David Teal, and he just did so a week or two ago, and so I saw that, and it triggered in my mind to say, let's get David Teal on and see what he has to say. Well, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to make sure that he understands our two positions about we're not going to play football unless students are here. And we're not going to play football unless there's students in the stands and see if you and I have any credibility left prognosticating and going forward. So may, remind me to ask him that question. We ha- I will. And we have no credibility left. There's nothing we can do to save it at this point. I do want to suggest, Keith, so we've had this conversation, when is football going to start? And we kind of throw out dates. But we do it without the details. It's just kind of the assumption that things will get better. The curve will stay flat and we won't have a spike. They'll find tests that are more readily available. But nobody really seems to be – now, hopefully they are. But, I mean, the NFL just released its schedule, didn't announce anything about how they're going to test and see that that, the players stay safe. Baseball is talking about spring training in June and playing games in July, although the fact that L.A. County is going to be shut down for three months, that puts a wrinkle in that. There's more and more indicators that everybody's planning to move forward but we're not really hearing the details of the plans. Does that, does that give you any pause? Uh, very much, you know, and, and not to delve into the weeds too much, but one of the things that I think everyone is grappling with is, is we're hearing of these tests that are available and or these drugs that are being used in treatment and or the trials that are associated with the vaccine and the antibodies testing. And it's like everybody's just waiting for whoever is supposed to be, whether it be the CDC, the FDA, whomever, to say, yes, you can do it this way. And I think if and when we ever get a little bit of guidance as to what is acceptable, then people can make some choices 
I know Major League Baseball, however they did it, I don't know, but they tested some four or 5,000 of their club employees, not the players, but the employees. And only about 1% of those tests came back positive for the virus. So I think everybody's just on pins and needles waiting to know what are, what are the resources that might be available and when can we start using them. But that's just me. To be fair to the organizers, whether it's NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA trying to get to the playoffs, college athletics directors and presidents trying to figure out the season, you have to put plans in place as if you're going to play. You have to think through, here's where we would test people outside Doak Campbell Stadium. Here's who tickets would be available to. Here's how we'd stagger the seating. Here's how we'd adjust. You have to think through it. The, the analogy is you can't just show up on September 5th and run a marathon if you haven't done any legwork for the months leading up to it. You got to put, put some miles in the bank. But what concerns me is that when we're running that marathon and there's that drink station, there's nothing in the cup there to refresh me because we don't know if there's going to be a test that's readily available. Well, and that's, that's my point. And, um, you know, you and I obviously are not in any position to uh, expound upon what would be appropriate or inappropriate. And unfortunately, coaches and athletic directors and presidents are in the same boat. You know, they're, you're waiting on the experts. You're waiting on those, quote, unquote, in charge to give you a framework or at least a, an idea. We're going north, south, east, or west. And uh, we're all just waiting until then. But you're exactly right. You've got to prepare because you just can't turn it on automatically, as we were talking about last week. I mean, how many, how many weeks of practice and or conditioning are the minimum amount that everybody agrees that football players need? And how is that right. different for soccer? And how is that different for whatever other fall sports? Um, and so it's, it's, it's hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. That's exactly what it is. We're getting closer to mid-May. We'll just continue to wait. We'll talk some recruiting next segment. We'll discuss ACC and its future. Not that it's disbanding, but just what it looks like with David Teal. That's coming up in our third segment. I do want to remind folks that uh, Madison Social is still out there. Uh, Tuesday of this week, they delivered 5,000 donuts from Soto, to, uh, which is part of the Madso group or the Table Restaurant group. Uh, from Soto to TMH uh, yesterday, 5,000 donuts, which is half the order that, that, that Keith usually gets for, is it monthly or is it biweekly? Biweekly, Tom. And, oh, by the way, the Tallahassee Police Department was very upset with that order. Because? Well, the stereotypical, what does a police officer get? Well, I, I hadn't read part two about how much they delivered to TPD on 7th Avenue. No, there's there's nothing there, at least that I'm aware of. Uh, today, by the way, if you uh, are still trying to figure out what you're doing for dinner, uh, you spend 30 bucks, whether it's uh, in Madison Social or carry out, you get some free BLT dip to go with it. So go on out and support Madison Social for the table and local restaurants and businesses in general. We'll come back, talk recruiting right after this on Front Row Knowles. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles, our favorite time of the week. Keith, you thought it was when you and I got together, but it's actually the uh, Osceola Insider segment. It's much more intriguing to me. And we're joined now by Patrick Burnham from the Osceola. I'd encourage our listeners, if you don't already subscribe, they've got a 30-day free trial available or 20% off an annual membership. Just go to theosceola.com. Patrick, how are you? 
I'm doing great, man. Up here in North Georgia, spending a little time with the family for Mother's Day and uh, enjoying a rare break from my own living room. <laughs> hey, Tom, are we supposed to sell, tell Pat we like him better than Bob, or is that just between me and you? Well, that's just between us and our audience this week. If Bob's <laughs> listening, he'll find out the hard way. You know, it is what it is. He'll, he'll listen to once uh, it's up and running, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I, we've, we've had these conversations, Patrick. I mean, there's there's uh, there's not much to report on on the field because there's nothing going on on the field. And maybe that's why there's so much dialogue about what's going on off the field, or maybe it's just the uncertainty and angst of when are we going to play football and all that. But one thing is clear, and we knew this before COVID-19, recruiting never stops. And I think now just the prevalence of Zoom and, and how coaches are having to recruit and everything you see on social media, it's only reinforced the point that well, if you get coaches together, they got to do something, and they are working the phones, the Twitter, or the the Zoom, the video games, whatever they can do to, to line up some recruits. Yeah, the uh, the recruiting calendar says dead, but it is anything but recruiting uh, dead on the recruiting trail and yeah. uh, virtual, uh, whether it's electronic, digital. Uh, you know, I know that FSU had a uh, prospect on campus yesterday, uh, and Jared uh, Williams, the uh, offensive tackle that's thinking about transferring either to Florida State or Miami uh, from Houston. Uh, obviously, they got a commitment yesterday from Katie, Texas, cornerback um, Hunter Washington, a four-star corner from Katie, Texas, uh, who chose uh, – had Oklahoma, uh, Texas, Texas A&M, Ohio State, among others, to choose from. But Florida State got a, a big commitment from him. That's their sixth commitment for 2021. So, certainly, the recruiting has uh, kept on going. They are offering a host of kids for 2022 and 2023. And – as you would expect with a virtual footprint, they are offering kids from coast to coast, from California to Florida and all the way up into Connecticut. So uh, they're not leaving any stone uncovered, un- unturned right now. Pat, when it first came out, we were we were all wondering what the transfer portal would look like and, and how would you monitor that? How would you pay attention to it? Now that it's been around for a while and Florida has it, and Florida State has a number of "Quote unquote uh, portal transfers that have committed a couple that have actually early enrolled. What would you say about how coaches are using that, and particularly how Florida State and, and Coach Norvell's staff is using that? Well, I think obviously if you just look at uh, George, Jared Williams, excuse me, the offensive tackle from Houston, and then you got Jordan Wilson, the tight end who just transferred to Florida State from UCLA. They are going. They are trying to fill." Uh, the transfer portal up with guys at positions of need, which is exactly what you'd think. It's a uh, free agency type situation for the kids and the schools uh, with a graduate transfer. It's only a one-year deal for the school and the kid. Uh, you're able to fill that hole quickly uh, and then recruit to fill that hole for another year. So uh, he's using it tied in where you got Jared Wilson, who's going to bring you uh, – 34 games at UCLA over the last three years. I'm sorry, Jordan Wilson at UCLA is going to bring you 34 games over the last three years. You've got one scholarship tight end returning for next season if you're Florida State and Cam McDonald, and that's it. You've got a true freshman. You've got a quarterback at that, uh, Wyatt Rector, who's moved from quarterback to tight end. So certainly you would think that this kid's going to come in and compete right away for uh, a starting position with McDonald and uh, either as a backup. And then if they were lucky enough to get the Jared Williams kid out of Houston, uh, whose quarterback, Derek King, 
has already transferred to Miami, which you think may influence his decision as this thing gets a little bit deeper. But if Florida State can get him, I was watching film on him yesterday, and uh, the kid can come in and start at left tackle, right tackle, based off what I the short three days of spring practice that I saw from Florida State, and obviously what they would had last year with Ryan Roberts at. Uh, right tackle, then the uh, swinging door that was left tackle, either because of injury or with uh, Darius Washington and uh, uh, several others that tried to occupy that position. But I think that the, the Williams kid is a kid that can come in and start right away for FSU during his grad season. He started 17 games over three years at Houston. has got very good feet, moves very well, long, athletic, and a guy that would be, I consider, upgrade from what we played with last year at Florida State. That'd certainly be good news if he chose FSU. We'll see. I think playing time will probably dictate that decision more than whether his quarterback's at Miami. But unfortunately, I remember Miami's offensive, it wasn't very good either. So he probably could play there. <laughs> well, I was getting ready to say, he's, he has chosen at least two of the schools that need immediate help. If yeah. he had Syracuse on that list, it would be the trifecta of yeah. bad offensive lines from college football last season. Yeah, yeah. So we'll rule that out as a determining factor. So – Pat, we're talking with Patrick Burnham from the Osceola. For more information on how to subscribe, go to theosceola.com. Pat, I don't follow recruiting that closely, but there was a time when I did. So looking at painting this with broad strokes, you get a commitment yesterday, and that's commitment number six. Yes. When you look at the rankings, Florida State's in the bottom third right now of the ACC. Now, the way recruiting rankings work, it has to do with volume. So if you have 18 commits, you're going to score higher. Right. But is there reason to be concerned right now that there's so few commits, or is this calculated and maybe there's some silent commits that the coaches have asked not to go public, or just kind of assess where we're at with that number and if there should be reason for concern? Well, I think part of the reason that they're – and listen, let's, before we get into – Alabama has four commitments and Auburn has five commitments, okay? So, and you're, you're ranked right around – it's still early. There's still a lot of rows to hoe to figure out where we're going. But the, the one reality for Florida State is, and Coach Mike Norvell is, and his staff, they haven't had a chance to go out and visit these kids in Florida. You know, they, the recruiting period has been dead since March 14th. Uh, they've been no, not allowed to have anybody on campus. They're not allowed off campus. They have not met the majority of the high school coaches in the state and have not evaluated these kids in person, which is something you would want to do. Conversely, these kids want to see if this program's going to turn around and where they're going and where this program's going and the style of football they're going to play. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think that Florida State is probably holding off on some com- com- commitments for kids that want to commit. They, uh, the staff, probably wants to see if they can gain some momentum either through spring football, which they didn't get to have, or through the first half of this season, next season. Uh, but I think it's probably a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, it's part of it. Kids don't know where the program's going. These kid coaches at Florida State don't know the kids, don't know the high school coaches in the state of Florida. So what they've done uh, is they've gone back and they're recruiting Louisiana and Texas very heavily. They have a lot of relationships in the state of Louisiana. The recruiting coordinator, David Johnson, who's also the running backs coach, coached at Tulane, was a longtime high school coach in the state of Louisiana. So he has a ton of relationships there. Alec Atkins, the offensive line coach, coached at Tulane for Willie Fritz before one year at UNC Charlotte. So 
And then, of course, Mike Norvell, his Memphis roster last year had 11 kids from Louisiana and 10 kids from Texas on the roster. So they have built relationships there in those states with coaches that they trust. And they've seen these kids that where they've recruited in these high schools, they've seen these kids develop. So some of it's just familiarity. I think that you will see uh, the number of kids that commit from the state of Florida increase as we continue to move on down the road. Pat, the, the Texas connection is interesting to me because I, I would make the argument, you may disagree, but the style of football they play at the high school level in Texas is as wide open as there is. And that didn't necessarily fit in the Jimbo's offense. We didn't have enough time with Willie. But for Mike Norvell's offense, while he's not as up-tempo as one might think, he is wide open. And I yes. just think that fit between Texas high school and Norville's offense is a pretty good fit. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the one thing that he showed at Memphis is he's going to play to his strengths, whether that's spreading the field and throwing it deep. He's going to take deep shots even when he runs the football a lot, which he did with Daryl Williams when they had him at Memphis his senior year. And I believe he's one of the nation's leading rushers. I believe signed with the was drafted by the Rams. Uh, but, you know, he's played to his strengths. But, yes, you you watch Florida, you watch Texas high school football, which I was doing earlier today when I watched the – or yesterday when I watched the kid from uh, – that committed Hunter Washington. And you see a lot of three and four receivers receiver sets, which his base offense is going to be a three-receiver offense. Uh, you're going to see a lot of that with Coach Norvell based off what we saw at Memphis. But, yeah, I think there's certainly some – you can make an argument that some of those kids, depending on what position you play, are going to be better suited uh, for what they do from a system standpoint. Patrick, one of the things you – one of the stories you wrote recently on Osceola and it, it cover recruiting, and one of the things I like is you really assess the film and give your uh, analysis of that and you've got the expertise to do so. But uh, Charles Fishbein's been involved with the Osceola as a recruiting guy. But so the two of you got together with Kez McCorby. You're bringing some former Knowles into the mix to assess the position they played and more specifically the prospects at this position, at their position. And this goes to out-of-state recruits. But FSU does not have a receiver committed for the 21 class, and they've got four guys on the list who are all from Louisiana. And I could argue – uh, on the one hand, the, the best couple of those are going to go to LSU. But on the other hand, that means two of them are still going to be available and maybe they come to FSU and they're going to be pretty good. So uh, just, just, just uh, you know, what did Kez offer there in terms of what he saw and what's been your impression of those four kids from Louisiana? Well, we watched Dez Pazon, Keon Coleman, Tyrese Johnson, and Brian Thomas. And, of course, you know, recruiting is kind of like uh, golf to some people. You know, you line up on a hole uh, on the tee box and it may look – off-center to you and look, make perfect fit for me. Uh, but uh, recruiting is the same way. Uh, we all thought they were definite takes. Uh, you know, Des Pazan from, uh, from Carr High School in New Orleans is very high on Florida State. That he's, They are right in the mix on him. But he is he's 6'1", about 180, could play either outside or inside. Uh, probably more of a slot guy, but uh, has great speed. Uh, I mean, gets to full speed really fast, gets off press man coverage. Uh, very effectively. Then you got Keon Coleman, another kid who's 6'4", 190. Um, 
Kez really liked him. Uh, I like him too, but I like Brian Thomas, who's also 6'4", 180. I thought he was more of a natural-born football player. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons we're having Kez do receivers, help us with receivers, and Mark Selma help, help us with the offensive line is these guys not only played at a very high level in college, but they've also coached college football. So they have a unique understanding of what Mike Norvell and his staff, or any staff for that matter, are looking for from a particular position group. And, you know, Kaz knows a whole lot more about wide receivers than I do. I mean, as far as can they sink their hips when they're making their breaks and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, then Mark's so good with the offensive line. So what we what we decided we were going to do when we restarted or rebranded the Osceola is we wanted to be subject matter experts. So that's why we uh, brought Kez and Mark on board. We'll continue to do that with each position group as we continue to go through the summer. Uh, and but and those guys have such good personalities; they make it very entertaining to do anyway. But uh, they have done this at the highest level. Mark was an offensive line coach at South Carolina. Kez played the NFL, the CFL, and then uh, his last stop before coming back here to coach high school football was Middle Tennessee State. Uh, So, uh, you know, we wanted to provide our subscribers and our listeners with the very best content and expert opinion that we could. And, uh, you know, luckily uh, at Florida State, we have an abundance of resources to go out and the relationships with these guys to help bring uh, not only the Osceola, but uh, by the same extent, your listeners, some commentary from those guys. Patrick Burnham, our guest from the Osceola. Again, there's so many unknowns and there's so much different the way recruiting's being done right now because you can't physically go out there. I mean, there's not a spring evaluation period. Heck, you're not going to bring them on campus for camp. No. So you're having to rely on film, and really this is where it goes back to your relationships. I mean, if you trust a high school coach in Louisiana that this kid is the real deal, you're going to believe that over a grainy tape that you're seeing from somewhere in Florida if you don't have that relationship yet. I mean, that's really what you're you're driving at in terms of how they're going after this right now. Well, yeah, I mean, and trust is everything in any relationship, right? If you don't trust somebody, you're not going to take their advice. You don't know if they have the best uh, intent for you, uh, you know, and there are high school coaches that would do anything to get their play. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not and I know this is a very broad generalization, but you can't trust every coach that you talk to, right? Particularly when you don't know them. I can remember when I was working, I can't remember I was working at South Florida or uh, working for Fox and Scout doing the call. And I was talking to a high school coach and I said, what do you think about this particular kid? What his, what is, what are his limits? And he goes, all I, he goes, all I'm going to tell you is it's my job to sell my seniors to everybody that walks through here. It's your job and these coaches jobs to figure out whether they're the best thing for your program. So, you know, listen, uh, they're doing the right thing and going to where they have established relationships with people uh, who have opinions that they respect. And, uh, you know, they will eventually make inroads with the in-state coaches. And I'm sure that they have a plan right now, whether they're video conferencing or teleconferencing with coaches in their recruiting areas like they would do if they were on the road right now, which they would go hit every high school in their uh, assigned territories, I'm assuming, is what most new staffs do, whether they have a prospect or not. You don't ever know when they're going to have a prospect. So you need to get in there and start building relationships. So I'm sure that the FSU staff has a plan to try to establish these relationships, even though they're not face-to-face. Uh, and the one thing that you, you and I talked about it all, one thing that you are seeing, because they do have all this time to watch film, you're seeing a large number of 2022 and 2023 kids get 
scholarship offer. So, uh, but uh, anyway, yes, I think that they're doing the right thing. I think that uh, it will take them a little bit longer to establish those relationships with the high school coaches in Florida because you can't have them on campus for coaching clinics. Uh, and plus, you know, it's not like you can go out and meet them at a uh, well, you can't go up meet them at a McDonald's or a Chick Fil A or anywhere. Uh, but uh, if you could, you're still in Tallahassee, Florida, and the most, the vast majority of the population in schools are south of I-10 and I-75. So it's not like you know, there's not a real easy way to do it, even if you were going to do it uh, with over a cup of coffee. So, uh, go ahead, Pat. Not not to disagree with my esteemed colleague, Mr. Block, but. The other part of recruiting that maybe our listeners haven't focused in on and are not aware of is it's not grainy tapes anymore. These kids are hiring consultants and professionals. These parents are paying for when you get a tape in on a kid, it's professionally done. It's going to highlight them in the greatest and most advantageous way. I mean, there's a whole you know, market oh, yeah. For gotta, putting these putting these tapes together, as it were, and trying to promote these kids. Well, you've got recruiting services that are going out there and taping the entire games, whether it's an Exos Technology or Exos Technology who sells recruiting packages to colleges, uh, and even Elite Scouting Services who we use with Charles Fishbine. Uh, these guys hire people to go out and tape these games as professional videographers, so they are getting. Either they can get anywhere between highlights of a particular kid or full game footage, and it's all downloaded. They go to their computer, they pull it up, and they start watching complete games or highlights. However, they uh, I know they're set uh, complete games, and I think they can, probably their recruiting staff will start breaking them down as highlights on certain kids. But certainly, yeah, they they've got more access to film and information than they ever had before I, when when we played or when I played in high school and I was a senior me and a buddy of mine Eddie Galloway who eventually walked on at Florida State we were being recruited by mostly the same schools and we used to argue over which film got sent to which school depending on which one of us had a good game and a bad game and I remember <laughs> we were being recruited by Sanford and Troy both uh, small schools both and we had a 30-minute argument and almost came to blows over which tape was going where or which 16. So, yeah, it certainly changed. And, uh, you know, they do have access to more information. Uh, you know, I talk to my brother every day, and just about every time I talk to him, he's either on the phone with a recruit or watching video of a recruit. And Florida State coaches are doing the exact same thing. I can remember mid-'90s when I was working at Channel 27 that Dwight Thomas was here coaching at Godby, I guess, and he'd coached Emmett Smith over in Pensacola. And, he was one of the first ones, at least that I became aware of, that was helping kids put together video. I don't remember the service he started or whatever and send that out. So, I mean, that it certainly has evolved over the years. Pat, last question as we as we wrap things up. I think with the UCLA grad transfer, is that up to eight eight transfers now for Florida State? It's close to that time. I don't have the uh, uh, number right in front of me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're certainly uh, getting close to that number. The real and question is – yeah, well, and there's the Houston kid you talked about. That was going to be my question. How many more 
do you expect them to take that way? And, and, and maybe the answer is however many want to come. <laughs> well, that's obviously going to be a part of it. And you got to, and listen, another part of it, they got to be better than what you got, right? You got, they got to, they got to be a better player than the guy that you're going to have them compete against, or there's no reason to bring them in. So uh, I believe, first of all, do they meet the criteria that you feel that they have the t- uh, capability of making your roster better or being able to start? Uh, and, you know, I think that, you know, you had so little experience at tight end, you had to go in and get another tight end. You know, Carter Boatwright was impressive during spring, but listen, he's a still a true – he's not even a true freshman yet. He's a high school senior. Uh, then you've got Wyatt Rector, who is a guy that wants to play football so badly, moved to tight end, which is the first time since probably Pop Warner that he's played any position besides quarterback. So that made sense. Now, what do I think – it would not surprise me, or I said this early on – if there's a graduate transfer quarterback and an offensive lineman or two, I would not be surprised to see them take two or three more graduate transfers, maybe one or two on the offensive line, and it would not surprise me if there was a graduate tra- uh, uh, transfer at quarterback. But that's just my opinion. Don't have any reason. Uh, I just look at the roster. Uh, you got James Blackman and you got two true freshmen, uh, none of whom – you don't even get the benefit from – uh, Rodemaker being here for spring now. That's that's been washed away. So, I hey, can see hey, hey, don't Jordan Travis is online. And listen, I have a lot of respect for Jordan. He was certainly fun to watch when he played last year, <laughs> but I don't think I've seen Jordan throw a pass yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> understood, Pat. We appreciate it, sir. All right, guys, y'all have a great one. RICL insider Pat. Patrick Burnham. He joined us via the Bacon Agency Hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Take a break. We'll come back and widen the conversation, talk more about that million-dollar question. It's actually about a billion-dollar question probably if you add all – Or maybe two or three. Yeah. When is college football going to be played? We'll address that right after this on Front Row Knowles. Back on Front Row Knowles, I told you we'd broaden the conversation, widen it from Florida State to college football, college athletics in general, and we're going to do so now. Uh, open back up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Pleased to bring back to the program David Teal, who is sort of the uh, the czar of all things ACC, and he joins us maybe once or twice a year. And I, I guess, first of all, David, I don't think we've had you on since you entered the transfer portal. So <laughs> you, you have moved on now, I guess, to the Richmond Times Dispatch at Richmond.com. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, I spent uh, 36 remarkable years with the Daily Press and Newport News and uh, have have since moved on to uh, what I hope is my last job. Well, is that is that newspaper transfer portal working like the uh, football transfer portal? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very fortunate to to have landed another offer. Uh, in, in, in these economic times, I just I consider myself beyond blessed, that's for sure. Well, and if you were able to negotiate into your contract that you get an extra nickel every time somebody asks you when we're going to kick off the college football season, wow. yeah. wait for another few months and you're good to go. That's right. Yeah, I should, I should have had that bonus clause inserted by my agent, right? <laughs> so, you know, this is the – we had you on, uh, you know, normally this time of year, I presume you're probably in Amelia Island because the ACC meetings would be going on. And it's it, it's a time of year when we sort of get word leaked about kickoff times for the first couple games of the year and, and right. that sort of thing. And the coaches are there. I, I know that they've obviously – 
coaches, administrators, they've all been meeting more frequently than the norm since we're not in a normal situation. But what what news do you think is going to come out of this week as they meet? Are we going to get any clarity or are we just going to continue to have to wait until the last possible moment before we, we have some idea of what it looks like? Tom, I don't think we're going to get clarity on the overarching question that we all are longing to answer, and that is in regard to when or even if college football 2020. But I think there are serious issues for the conference to debate, discuss, and perhaps even act on. Among them, name image likeness, which the NCAA Board of Governors recently took the next step toward. Uh, What is the ACC's feeling collectively on that? I mean, just today, the Mid-American Conference announced the elimination for at least four years of eight conference championship tournaments. I don't think the ACC is going to adopt such draconian cost-cutting measures, but I certainly think that there will be some thought to restructuring conference scheduling practices to make them more regional. Uh, might tournaments be smaller in nature? Uh, it, it's, these are very interesting and trying times. David, on the football side, the, the only thing Tom and I have been able to agree on is that um, you're not going to play football games until the students are on campus. And you probably can't afford to play football games if there aren't fans in the stands. How would you react to those two things we, we at least have come up with? Well, if the only option, Keith, for football is with limited or no fans in the stands, they will play. They need that television revenue. I mean, that's, that's a bigger chunk than ticket revenue. Now, is that ideal? Certainly not. But if that was the only option, I believe it it is an option they would exercise. Now, students on campus is is a very tricky component of this. How many of them are on campus? How many classes are virtual versus how many are in person? Uh, I, I think there is some nuance there. When I spoke to John Swafford a couple of weeks ago, he didn't think that, or he said he didn't believe that there was a hard, definitive line drawn in the sand there. Now, again, just today, the 23 universities in the California state system announced that they are going to online classes for the entirety of the fall semester. It's a whole lot of public schools in California that play major college football now. So much for our thoughts, Tom. Well, it, there's there's no clear answer. And, you know, the Pac-12 has the whole West Coast, but the ACC is up and down the eastern seaboard, David, and there's different rules in play in every state. So I, the more this goes on, the more it feels like, and we've talked about this, Keith and I, in an effort to play football, period, you may have to go it whether it's nine or ten schools and redo the schedules, whatever it is, whatever contingent says we're, we're ready to go or we're willing to go, able to go, you're going to have to play, and it's just not going to look like what we've normally had uh, necessarily. 
I think that's that's certainly possible, Tom. Uh, even though all the Power Five commissioners have been preaching cohesiveness and that they're in this collectively, you know, at, at some point might there have to be individual institutions making decisions? I think it's absolutely feasible. Uh, now, if the projection might be X schools won't play in the fall, but everyone might be willing to go in the winter or the spring. Could you see football delayed until the second semester? Again, not ideal, but it's certainly an option that's on the table. Who would have ever imagined this would be the things that we're discussing? So you, you referenced that you had a conversation with John Swafford. Well, one final question on that topic, because Keith and I sort of do the same show every week. You know, yeah. It's out there and guess when the season's going to start, right? And, and the one thing that needs to be out there is, is a way to test uh, in, in mass and, yeah. and be able to stay on top of this. Is there a drop dead date in your mind when we'd have to know if we're going to start this season on time? Mid-July. Mid-July. That's what John Swafford told me. Okay. So plus or minus right when we'd be at the ACC kickoff normally is about we'll find out if there's a season. Um, what else did, did you talk to him about? And this has been completely back burner as everything has been because there's no sports right now. ACC network overall. And when, as, as it launched, uh, the carriage was good a lot with the streaming platform, but far outpaced where others were. I thought Comcast would come on board and then ultimately they didn't as we got into this. Right. Or, um, so, I mean, it, it's kind of – at some point, Comcast will have to because they'll have to renegotiate all their ESPN contracts. I realize that, and they've still got two years to do that. Um, but do you think anything is closer rather than farther away there? And do we have any idea what the revenue ultimately looked like in terms of an uptick from what the previous TV revenue was? Well, all, all I can tell you, Tom, is that, number one, I, I, I agree that the pandemic and, and the subsequent economic downturn – certainly put the brakes on whatever discussions Disney slash ESPN was having with Comcast. And that's been the big miss and really the only miss by the, the folks in, in, in Bristol and at Disney when it comes to negotiating carriage for the ACC network. Now, in, in terms of revenue, what Commissioner Swafford told me is that for Fiscal 2019-20, he believes that per school distributions will be at 95% of what they originally projected. Now, a 5% hit is not great. It amounts to maybe a million and a half or a little less per school. But when you look at the overall revenue picture or just the everything that the pandemic has, has wrought, that's a pretty good number. And I think the network revenue is part of that. I think clearly the cancellation of the NCAA tournament hurt, but on the flip side, the ACC didn't have any of its spring championships. That saved money. You know, it's not cheap to have spring meetings at the Ritz on Amelia Island. So th there's a big cost savings. So all in all, I think for the ACC, if, if it turns out as Commissioner Swaffer believes that they come in at 95% of projections, 
That seems to me to be a win. David, are you hearing anything from the schools? Excuse me, Tom. Are you hearing anything from the schools, or is Commissioner Swafford share anything with you about, as you mentioned, the reduction in sports? Because there are a number of uh, ACC schools that have a pretty big load of what we call the Olympic or the non-revenue generating sports. Have you heard anything? Is there anything on the street about schools dropping some of those minor sports? Well, we've seen some schools drop sports, but those have been at the group of five level. I mean, the, the, the headliners were Cincinnati men's soccer and Old Dominion wrestling. I have not heard talk of ACC schools dropping sports. That doesn't mean those discussions haven't been had internally at those institutions and they may have run the numbers, but I know of, of nothing afoot. We're talking with David Teal from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. David, I'm not suggesting this would happen imminently or for this year because first they've got to work through how are we going to get football played in FY21 to bring some revenue in. But do you think that this pandemic will ultimately reset college athletics a little bit, i.e. have lasting repercussions on scheduling, maybe not schedule coaches, not conventions, but ACC meetings at the Ritz? Right. Maybe you reassess length of travel and the way the divisions are structured so that FSU is not going to Boston. And, you know, I mean, we've had coastal Atlantic, but maybe Northern and Southern makes more sense. I'm just, I'm just wondering if everything might be on the table as we come out of this. I think you are absolutely spot on. I think this will have lasting implications is Todd Turner is a former athletic director in four major conferences, including the ACC at North Carolina state. And in the SEC at Vanderbilt, and he now runs a, a search firm, Collegiate Sports Associates. And I was talking to him last week, and the word he used was, this is an opportunity for the, the entirety of college sports to, quote, recalibrate, unquote. How you schedule. Might the Power Five break away from the NCAA for football and, and federate that sport? I think you're certainly going to see – some realignment at the group of five level where you bring some geographic sanity to some of these far-flung conferences where they're just torching money with their travel costs. David, we'll wrap up here momentarily. You mentioned NIL at the start of our conversation and you know, that's another thing. I'm sure it's not back burner in college athletic departments because it's a significant issue, but in the mainstream, I don't know how, front burner it's been as we worry about on the field things but right now you've got the Zion stuff going on and is is coach K going to get you know in front of the courtroom and all this and and this is and I it just feels like it's the worry is this will be the wild wild west and the counter would be well it's already the wild wild west we'll just be able to police it a little better I don't know if you can give a short reaction to what your thoughts are on it though well number one if I'll be very surprised if Zion Williamson in the legal entanglement doesn't get settled out of court so folks don't end up on the witness stand. I don't think anyone wants that for obvious reasons. I mean, college basketball recruiting and college football recruiting are messy, and no one has any illusions otherwise. NIL could be equally messy, but it is certainly – uh, it's been legally mandated 
I mean, we have laws in California and Colorado, and more than 30 other states are exploring similar measures. So the NCAA has no other choice here. Uh, college athletes are going to be able to monetize their name, image, and likeness. The question is, what are the parameters? And that is what schools and conferences are going to spend the better part of the next couple of months trying to figure out. So legislation can be brought by January to approve. Is Congress going to be the ultimate decider? Excuse me? Is Congress going to be the ultimate decider? That is what intercollegiate athletics would like. They would very much like for some federal guidelines so they don't have to answer to all these state laws. Now, what college athletics also wants is an antitrust exemption. Now, is Congress inclined to grant that? Right now, it doesn't appear that it is, but we'll see. Obviously, Congress and intercollegiate athletics have more pressing matters right now than NIL, but yet, as, as Tom said, it, it looms out there and the deadlines on these state laws are 2023. I mean, to put it in draft parlance, guys, the NCAA is on the clock. Well, if DeSantis signs it, Florida's law goes in effect July 1 of 2021. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that really ratchets up the timeline, doesn't it, guys? Yes. Yeah, well, so just for our listeners' sake, David, would you please share the column you already had written about how Leonard Hamilton and the Knowles were going to cut down the nets in Atlanta how we, had we played a basketball tournament this year? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what, they were certainly in, in the mix. I, I loved watching them play. I, I saw them play twice in a week because they happened to come to – Charlottesville and, and Blacksburg, you know, tw- twice in, in, in that one, what was it, six or seven day span during the regular season. And, and gosh, they were so impressive. And uh, I was really glad that Commissioner Swafford there, when, when, the, when the tournament was canceled that day, brought the trophy out and, and presented it to them. And, and they just happened to be playing that noon quarterfinal. Uh, it was a it was bizarre, but it somehow seemed fitting. I mean, good good for Coach Ham and the Knowles. They absolutely deserve it. He richly deserved Coach of the Year. And uh, what, what a remarkable season they had. And they sure look like they're loaded next year as well. Yeah, he seems to have it humming. Let's just hope there is a next year. That's what we're all concerned about. Amen, my friend. David Teal from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, thanks for uh, checking in and some time with us. We always appreciate your ACC insight. You know, we're, uh, in some respects, candidly, Florida State folks still feel like an outsider of the ACC, even though it's been since the early 90s, just because we're not in that cluster of states or the four big four in North Carolina. So always appreciate the insight and the update. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. I wish you and all your listeners nothing but the, the best of health and safety during these times. Thanks, David. We'll take a break, come back, and wrap things up on Front and Knowles right after this. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you as we wrap things up. I do want to say thanks to Ron and 
all of his folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. They've been serving the Big Ben since the mid-90s. You can call them at 580-1200. Keith, you go in there regularly. they got hand tools, cutting tools, laser levels, chain hoists. There haven't been a lot of chain hoists in my life, but if you need one, they got it. Fastener. They, they'll take More it. importantly, if you need one and you've never had one, they'll show you how to use it, which is a very, very valuable piece of information. Yes, that, that is a what, – what is it? Uh, measure twice, cut once? Exactly. <laughs> All right, Keith. So it happens that uh, we were talking about the ACC Network with David Teal last segment. And uh, tonight, for better or worse, they've got a couple of classic FSU-Miami games on. The worse would be Wide Right 1 is airing tonight. The, the, the better would be that the 93 win over Miami is airing tonight. So I'll just ask you, if we're going to, I mean, as long as we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're all feeling sorry for ourselves and want to get out and get back to normal, where were you, the Jerry Thomas kick, which would have been good the year prior before they moved the uprights in, <laughs> sailed just to the right? Well, I was actually, you may remember this, if, if memory serves, I was sitting in the stands I don't think you had joined uh, us yet, but I did a college football game at noon that day in Daytona Beach, Bethune-Cookman versus Lemington State, and Tom Hastings, our producer, and I rented a Cessna 172 and flew from Daytona to the old commercial airport out on Highway 27. I jumped in my Bronco and I headed straight to the stadium. I had a, a preferred parking spot, and I sat down right at kickoff of that 91 game after having televised that other game earlier in the day. So I was tired, excited, and then very disappointed. (laughs) And, yeah, you and I had not connected on the Sunshine Network broadcast at that point. I was in the press box working uh, statistics for the ABC broadcast crew that day. So the 93, we don't have to talk anymore about 91. I don't even know that I can stomach watching that game. The 93 game, however, I'll record and I'll go back and watch that. And I'll watch Sean Jackson's long run and Charlie Ward's touchdown and Matt Fryer's uh, long catch and run and Devin Bush's touchdown, and I'll enjoy every one of them. Uh, That was actually my first day on the air. I think I've talked about this on this show at Channel 27. I had just gotten hired at doing sports talk locally at WTAL, over to WTXL. And that was my first day as weekend sports anchor. And the entire sportscast was uh, a package that ran much longer than you would normally cut a package because I really didn't know what I was doing. Took the whole time, but it was worth it because it was that win that was the springboard for FSU getting over the hump and ultimately getting that first natty. Just as long as they don't re-air the 31-zip first game of the season, what was that, 87, 88, whenever that was, 89, Please don't bring that one up. That'll be the one that I can't stop. That was 88, and that was right after the Seminole Wrap, which disappeared from mankind until you two brought it back. But there was like a two-decade statute of limitations where none of us could mention it. Now we just look back and laugh at it. Especially Odell Hangins. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I still get tickled about that. It it was a little rough. That was not his expert. (laughs) He's turned out to be a pretty good D-line, D-tackle coach. So I don't think he has to worry about falling back on the rap career. I agree. We are out of time. We'll do this again next week. Uh, as you pointed out, off air, we're going to chat with Jeff Cameron, Tom Lang, see where they are in terms of maybe us getting back in the studio and doing this and see what precautions we need if they're even going there. So we'll have that conversation one way or other, whether it's via Zoom, via the phone, 
via the uh, remote studios in my driveway or via the actual Prime Meridian studios. We'll do this again next week. Sound good, KJ? Yes, yes it does. And we appreciate our listeners' uh, patience as we deal with technology issues. Uh, welcome to the new normal. Talk to you next week, KJ. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, on Front Row Knowles. Control.